Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, do support the people that support us. And uh, don't forget Dr. Drew.tv, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 3 o'clock for that streaming program. Uh, and as I always say, if you have some guests you want to suggest, contact drdrew.com. And please do stand behind the people that we stand behind to help us support this show. Today, my guest, I'm delighted to have Brianna Latipo. She has a book, Emerging from Darkness, a spiritual memoir and guide back to the light. We got a lot to talk about. Brianna, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I, I, of course, I have to start where I'm sure you get a lot of this and it's, it's, you've got to go, okay, but uh, I'm a big, big fan of your husband. <laughs> and yeah. so I know you're like, okay, can we get that out of the way and get on with Brianna? I, I but I can't I mean, help it. I can't no, help it. I've been a fan I, of his before it. I met him. I became a bigger fan after I met him. And, uh, so I'm imagining, you know, and I frame, I, I really frame that as saying, then I kind of know who you are uh, a little bit just by knowing him. So let's go deeper into that. Tell me about the book. Well, first, thank you for saying that. I actually never get tired of hearing that. My husband is a hero and my hero. So I will pass along your greetings. He's the Florida Surgeon General, and he calls it like he sees it and stands by it. And guess what? He's been right like 90% of the time, but uh, (laughs) called misinformation. And I, I yesterday was yelling at somebody, Galileo was misinformation. Einstein was misinformation. You really you want to suppress that? Think about what you're doing, everybody. So <laughs> tell us about the book. Uh, so my book, if anyone has read Joe's book, it's kind of the other half of the story. So my book uh, starts with my childhood. And I tell my story strictly for the purpose of sharing how I ultimately learned to deal with trauma and get through it and create an amazing life that I love. But I was born into a religious warring household. My mother's side was um, a very fundamentalist Protestant and my dad's side was fundamentalist Roman Catholic, both thoroughly convinced uh, the other side was going to hell. Oh boy. And um, all vying for my allegiance from the day I was born and I, I ask, I'll, I'm going to have a million questions for you. So, so how did they navigate their relationship and did it last? Uh, no, it did not. It lasted a lot longer than frankly, I thought that it would, uh, but that was mostly programming. It was uh, mostly because they didn't believe in divorce and uh, they thought that it was a sin. Um, as far as how they navigated the relationship, uh, violently, it was, oh. it was not, uh, it was not a pleasant household. Wow. What part of the country? I grew up in Southern California. Oh my goodness. Such an unusual thing. Well, just right. If you don't mind, what part of Southern California? Yeah. Uh, Temecula, which nobody knew where that was 20 years okay, ago. Well, that, but now everybody does. They're going to focus a little bit. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay. We're getting, we're getting warmer here. We're getting towards, <laughs> towards desert. <So>, okay. <laughs> then I think it had one intersection and a pizza place. And that's yeah. about it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, God bless him. In retrospect, I, I do know that they did the best they could. But at the time, I was this weird kid who was talking to angels and having visions and could see people's energy and color and was telling my parents things they didn't know about their neighbors that all turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. So um, as a child... I had no idea this was unusual. So I spoke very freely to my family about my experience, mm-hmm. not realizing they not only were not having this experience, but to them, it was satanic. Mm-hmm. So they thought that I was evil and that there was something oh. wrong with me. My God. So uh, I tried very hard to make myself less objectionable. <laughs> and I, in a nutshell, I shut down all my gifts. And I ended up on a very dark path for a lot of years. Mm. And that resulted in uh, a lot of abuse, especially sexual abuse and just a lot of really dark experiences. So, so let's, let's talk about the sexual abuse. And this, you were still a child when it started? Yes. Um, although it got steadily worse as I grew up. Right. So, so one of the human patterns is that when kids are neglected, abused, abandoned, really especially neglected or, or you know, have, can't get their needs met by their parents, they are good candidates for all sorts of exploitation by neighbors, co whatever cousins. It just, they, they, cause they're looking for connection and uh, this person, you know, misappropriates that essentially. And then once that's happened to you, we reenact the trauma over and over and over and over again. And what people don't talk about, you give me a chance to mention this 
is that the, the people don't talk much about where attractions come from. And one of the sources of attraction is trauma. So we get after trauma, you get attracted to people of childhood trauma, especially you get attracted to the same sort of people and places that are identical to the original trauma why we're wired that way, God only knows. Maybe you have some intuitive insight into that because I can't figure it out. It does not seem adaptive in any way, but that's what humans do. It took me 30 years to learn this, but what I now believe is that uh, trauma creates not only a physical imprint, but a soul imprint. I, I've, um, I believe that it creates a frequency that we give off. And it's, it's the reason, like you were saying, that people who have been traumatized once tend to be traumatized over and over again in the same oh, manner. Rihanna, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you. So, so your, your point is going to be that it's not so much that you're attracted to people like that. It's they, they pick up on something and they're attracted to you. Yes. Yeah. Although um, I don't want to put all the responsibility on the other, other people either, mm-hmm. because the greatest thing I learned that finally freed me is that everything in our lives is a co-creation. And I'm not suggesting this is a conscious co-creation by any measure. Um, no one wants to be abused, but I do believe that once you experience a particular type of trauma, you give off a frequency like a radio tower and it attracts that same experience over and over. And my theory is that it's the soul's attempt to actually get you to look at it and deal with it and understand it. But it wasn't until I learned how to transmute that energy and change that frequency that it stopped happening. So you're, you're speaking my language in terms of co-creation. I I actually believe consciousness is a co-created experience phenomenon uh, that, that I don't like just, I always sort of toss out that, I'm not convinced that if I put you out in the woods at age one and brought you back into society at age 14, that you would have anything like consciousness. You, you would have just drives and desires and you know dysregulated emotions, but you wouldn't have <laughs> consciousness comes from somebody else experiencing you and reflecting you back. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, to your point, without the experience of other people and the shared consciousness, we would not, uh, we would never experience joy, trauma, fear, mm-hmm. terror. I feel like what's happened is oneness consciousness is the reality, but we've bought into this illusion of separation consciousness. Mm-hmm. And of course, the powers that be benefit greatly from our belief that we are all separate. And mm-hmm. it's, it's much easier to manipulate people who are living in fear. And I think the reason that's important, particularly at this precipice that we are standing on right now Mm. is because the only way to fix what we have created is really to elevate the collective consciousness. And we can't do that without everyone starting to deal with their trauma. Mm. I agree with that. I I think the the history books are uh, replete with (laughs) how people have attempted to deal with it in the past. And what you find, I, I would say the broad, the broad sweeps of history teach us that um, acting out on others, violence and of various types is one way people express having had these experiences. And the other is collectivizing and then scapegoating, so, you know, acting out as a group or a mob violently on one person or a couple of other people. Do you see that also? Absolutely. It's it's a difficult concept, I think, for a lot of people to realize that they're actually partially responsible for everything they've experienced because nobody wants to believe that, right? We're told that we are victims of things happen to us. Mm. But the truth is that we are at least 50% responsible for everything we ever experience. Mm -hmm. And once that is accepted as truth, there's amazing power in that, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you can create it, you can discreate it or create something else. You can absolutely change your experience, but it's a whole lot easier to blame an external force for what's going on with your life. And I think we're seeing generations of that is your book about how to get through that how to how to change that absolutely okay talk to me about that so i was in that those dark patterns for a lot of years because just as light attracts light darkness attracts darkness Mm -hmm. and i was not learning my lesson so i was attracting these experiences one after the next Mm -hmm. 
And as a result of the way that I grew up and what I had gone through subsequently, I swore I would never get married, never have kids. I wanted nothing to do with any of that. Right. And I think God must have laughed because then one day <laughs> he stuck me on a plane in a hurricane next to the most amazing being I've ever seen to this day. Wow. Joe and I were both in the Virgin Islands on separate trips. And um, we ended up flying back the day Hurricane Charlie turned into a hurricane. <laughs> it started as a tropical storm where we were. And so what should have been a five-hour simple flight back to New York turned into a 20-plus hour series of disasters. Wow. And um, when he got on the plane, I remember looking at him and thinking, oh, God, help me. That's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. <laughs> I do not want this to happen. I, I put up my novel and I hid behind my book. <laughs> what was going on with you at the time? Were you, were, you know, one of the things that happens to people that get in these bad patterns is they they become bipolar with the pattern. They go, oh, I only attract, or I can only seem to be interested in horrible people. Therefore, I'm going absent entirely. I'm not, I'm not going to be around anybody. <laughs> were you in that kind of phase? Somewhat. I had just ended a very serious relationship. The most serious of my life was my college relationship. Mm. And he truly was a great guy. The problem in retrospect was not him. It was definitely me. Okay, good. Um, and even after three years together, I couldn't trust him. And he had never done anything to earn my distrust. It was definitely my damage, my dysfunction. Well, and, I, and I'm sure you now know that people that have been traumatized can't trust. That's the number one liability of having been rough, having closeness, you know, with another human violating a lot of things <laughs> that ruptures trust permanently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I ended up leaving this poor guy and this relationship was headed for marriage and um, I felt like, well, if I couldn't love him, he seems perfect in every way, then I, I can't love anybody. Mm. So I had gone on this trip to St. Thomas with my girlfriends to celebrate my freedom and being single and deciding that I was just never going to get married. Right. And on the plane trip home is when Joe fell right into my lap mm. and sat right next to me. Isn't that crazy? And uh, I was in denial the entire time. I kept telling myself lies like... No one this handsome could have a brain in his head. Mm -hmm. And then he spoke and was brilliant. I thought, well, no one this brilliant could have a conscience. Wrong again. <laughs> so I kept going up barriers. And um, this is a very long story that I detail in my book. But the short version is we ultimately had to make an emergency landing because of the hurricane. And we got separated in a riot in the airport. What? Yeah. <laughs> where, where are you? What city are you in? At this point, we've been rerouted to Newark. You, is a riot at Newark? <laughs> well, we had come through San Juan and we picked up, um, a, I think it was a large uh, extended family uh, of, of Puerto Ricans. Um, uh, they seemed to be related or at least traveling together. And when we got to Newark, we sat on the runway for ages. Lightning was striking the tarmac. Someone went into- What hurricane was this? Um, Charlie in 2004. Wow. Charlie. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> And then we had been without food and water for hours at this point. And there was an older gentleman in front of us who had some sort of cardiac episode. Oh, no. And Joe helped save his life right in front of me. As I'm telling myself, we don't like this guy. We don't like any guys. <laughs> this, this amazing man. Is just you need to make a movie out of this. Forget the books, dude. There needs to be a script. It's too, and people will go, oh, my God, too much. No one believe that. I, I don't believe it happened, but it's a great story. <laughs> no, I don't think. Anything less would have hooked me. I was so adamantly opposed to a relationship mm -hmm. that if it had been anything less than a fairy tale, I probably wouldn't have paid attention. Mm -hmm. So the universe knew what it was doing. I want to tell you again about our friends at Shopify. They are the global commerce platform. Helps you with every stage of your business, wherever you are in your development. Helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and of course, they have award-winning help to support you with your success every step of the way. 
Businesses that grow, grow with Shopify, and no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Drew, all lowercase. Again, shopify.com slash Drew. Go now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Drew, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash D-R-E-W. Do you think we give too much advice on this podcast? (laughs) Girl, this is a podcast. Advice does hit way harder when you cuss with it. Yeah, and we do plenty of that. This show, it ain't for kids. (laughs) Definitely not for the kids, but we do talk a lot about family. I mean, it comes with the territory and with a show called Baby Mama's No Drama. I just wonder if people get the gist of the ad we just did. You mean like the massive billboard in Times Square? That one. Well, yeah, that (laughs) one, but also this one, right? I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Kale Lowry. And I'm V Rivera. And we're the hosts of Baby Mama's No Drama Podcast. The Webby Award-winning Baby Mama's No Drama Podcast. Two baby mamas chatting it up about life, bedroom talk, family, and whatever drama we are trying to get out of the way. All while being just a little bit explicit. No, a lot explicit. (laughs) (laughs) So listen to us, the Baby Mama's No Drama Podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts. But anyway, we finally got to, we had to park, park land way out on the tarmac and run to the airport <laughs> as lightning is striking all around us. And we got in and then lightning struck, it must've struck a part of the airport because we lost power mm. and they canceled all the outgoing flights. And that's when people got angry and the riot started. Oh, I see. <laughs> and so we got separated. And as soon as that happened, my heart sank because I realized I had never given him my number. Uh. I had spent all these hours denying how I felt. And um, I was really sad for a moment. And then he fought his way back through the crowd and found me and got oh, my wow. Nice. And the rest is history. We spent the next year and a quarter on the phone because I was in San Diego at the time and he was in medical school in Boston. Mm. And we were talking six, seven, eight hours a night. Did you did you visit each other? Not for a whole year and a quarter. Oh and then goodness. I had a reason to visit him. And then we both realized that we were madly in love with each other and were engaged six months later. And that was oh, almost fantastic. 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. Fantastic. You guys have kids now? <laughs> three. We have three yeah. boys. Yeah. So how how did you I, I'm, did you have any treatment for your trauma at that point? So you could oh. be more available? Yeah, okay. So what happened um, is I feel like anyone who has ever been in an intimate relationship knows that your partner tends to act as a mirror for you. Yeah. So whatever you haven't dealt with eventually comes bubbling to the surface. Mm-hmm. And um, my Joe also had quite a bit of trauma. He wouldn't mm-hmm. mind me sharing this because he's written I about think it. you told me well. about it if I remember right. I, 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 it's, you know, trauma is so, child trauma is so common. <laughs> I just sort of assume everyone's got it these days. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah I think that's a correct assumption. Yeah. All the walking wounded at this point. Yeah. Um, so we were both, we were bringing up a lot for each other. And as much as we madly loved each other and enjoyed being together, we quickly realized we were not in a relationship alone. It was mm. my ancestors and his ancestors and all the intergenerational trauma. Yes. Uh, but the sexual abuse we had both experienced. Oh, goodness. And things started to fall apart. And we tried for many years to deal with this. We tried traditional therapy and self-help programs like Landmark and Avatar. And we studied world religions and pretty much anything we could get our hands on. EMDR? Um, I did that. He did not. Mm. Did it help you? I tried that a little bit. I feel like I got... I got something from everything we tried. Uh, It's like I got one little jewel for uh, my crown, but none of it was ever complete. It was never enough. It would bring more to the surface, but then it would sit there. It wouldn't go anywhere. uh, And by this point, I've just had my third baby. So we have, um, I mean, they're precious, but stressful as any parent knows. So it's. (laughs) Well, not only that, but, but all this trauma stuff, it's evoked by having kids and it, and it, it kind of, it's hard to do the work, you know, because you have to be, you change a lot with that work and you have to be vulnerable and stuff. And when you're dealing with kids, you, they don't want you to change. They want you just to be there. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. 
Yes. And um, things had, had just gotten worse and worse. And we were finally on the brink of splitting up, mm. which was terrible because neither one of us wanted that. Mm. We knew that it, as, as bad as things were, the problem wasn't really us. It was all these external factors, all this trauma, all, all these other people. It, was Joe able to be as clear about that as you were? Not at the time. Yeah, because men, men it's sometimes harder for us. Yeah, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, and, and I think our culture makes it harder. Honestly, oh, my God, yes. Generations. Yes. I mean, that's yes. a whole well, other and, thing to And is, is Joe, I, I never know what people's ethnicities are. Is Joe technically African-American or is he from? He's African. He's from yeah. Nigerian. Okay, He's Nigerian. So, so I'm guessing they're not super... I mean, he's a medical student. He knows psychiatry, but I, I imagine did that really get something that, you know, he embraced? Yeah. No, so, yeah. it was, that's certainly frowned upon in their yeah. culture. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. And between his cultural background and my religious background. Oh God. Bustable combination. My God. Are your pals still mm-hmm. alive at this point? They are. Yeah. They are. are they, they alive now? Yeah, my parents. Yes, they are. Oh goodness! I, how, yeah. how did they? What, what was their contribution back when you had little kids, and how are they now? Um, they haven't spoken to me in a decade. Mm. Um, my father a little longer than that, actually. You blasphemed in some way. Oh, just by existing. And um, I have a lot more compassion and empathy for them at this yeah. point on the other side of yeah, yeah. healing work. And I'll get into why that is in a well, minute. But, I mean, that's part of trauma work. You start realizing the perpetrators were traumatized also. And, you know, Absolutely. You know, I, I always take, I, I had a bunch of childhood trauma also. And I always take the position like, oh, I, I totally, I have no resentments, no feelings. I don't feel, I feel bad for her. But you don't do that to a kid. It doesn't just because I don't have feelings does not make it okay. That's right. If you choose to bring a child into the world, it is your responsibility not to project your own trauma onto that child. And that's more or less where Joe and I landed. And we thought, okay, we have to fix this, whatever it takes. And one day uh, I had a big emotional breakdown to a friend of mine because I felt like we had tried everything. The desire to fix it was there. We just didn't know what to do anymore. Mm. We'd done everything we got our hands on. So this friend of mine says, I think I know someone you need to meet. I said, he's a little out there. I said, have we met? I'm a little out there for most people. So no problem. And he said, why don't you order his book and see if it resonates? So I ordered this book immediately. And when it arrived, I didn't even need to open it because his picture was on the cover. Hmm. And it's difficult to describe the level of soul resonance I felt with mm. this person. Mm. And I had only had that experience before with Joe, with my mm. husband. And so even though I didn't know this man and had never seen him so, before. So I'm going to interrupt you again, as I always do. Sure. Talk to me more about that because I do, I have had those experiences a couple of times and they are, they get your attention when you have them. Um, what is that? How would you describe that? First describe it. And then how do you understand it? Well, at the time, um, what it felt like was looking almost at the other, another piece of myself, the level of comfort was indescribable and made no sense given that I didn't know this person, the level of love and me wanting to reach out to him mm-hmm. was very strange to me. And the, the the weirdest thing for me in particular was that I trusted him because I didn't trust anybody at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest I had come to trust was my husband. And even with him, I was absolutely projecting things on him that he didn't deserve. It was my stuff. Of this man, his name is Christopher. I trusted him. Um, still do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this at the time, but after going through many years of trauma healing, a lot of it with this man in retrospect, um, now I've had a lot of realizations, a lot of memories, and I believe that we have known each other many times before. Mm. In fact, I'm certain of it. And that's not something I had even considered prior to all of this happening, but the flood of memories that this type of deep soul work has opened up for me and not just about Christopher or my husband, but about many other lives and many other experiences has shed a lot of light on the fact that anytime I've ever felt a strong affinity for, for no apparent reason Mm -hmm. um, or the opposite, I've detested something for no apparent reason. Um, For example, when I was growing up and my dad would take me to church and that was the Catholic side. So we'd go to a Catholic church when I'd walk through the door 
I would vomit. Mm. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't help it. I had this visceral, violent response. Mm. And now I've recovered so many other memories that I know why. This is not my first go around with the Catholic Church. Right. And that's not to, um, to speak poorly of anyone's belief system or religion. That was just my experience. Mm. Um, so I, <laughs> I hope I'm allowed to go there on this yeah, show. Yeah. I no, I, I'm fascinated by all this. I, look, I... I don't judge people's belief systems. I, 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 here's what I, well, my wife's very into this stuff too. Right. So oh. here, here, um, you know, Joe and I are both scientists and, and we have one who's <laughs> very, down this, very far down this road. And uh, I, she has lots of friends that are into involved with all this. And so I, I kind of study them. In fact, I've wired them up and things uh, and uh, done EG studies <laughs> and stuff, trying to trying to figure out because I know because something is going on, something we should be able to sort of understand at least. Uh, and uh, I'm I have ideas, but but you tell me how you experience. It. And by the way, you know we're all using words to try to describe these experiences, and all that is very limiting just by itself. Uh, so absolutely. So yeah. what's Christopher's last name? Just so it's Maher, Christopher Lee Maher. Maher. And he, is he a therapist or is he? Nope. He's rather indescribable. The best way I could describe him would be to call him a healer. Mm. And um, I, I've known a lot of healers. I've known hundreds of people, some of them very gifted, some of them not. But this man is in a class of his own in my experience. Um, I've tried almost everything under the sun in terms of healing. But what he taught me to do that no one else had ever even broached was mm. how to transmute energy. Mm. So he taught me how to literally change that low vibrational shadow energy that has you locked into patterns of suffering and creates the frequency that is calling more traumatic experience to you and how to change that into high vibrational light energy that actually serves you and every other soul that you touch. Was he a Navy SEAL? Yes, he was. Okay was, which is part of the way I got my husband to go see him because like you, mm-hmm. Joe's a scientist and was very skeptical. Yeah. Very skeptical. Did he help Joe too? Is that how Joe amazing. broke through also? Yes, he okay. did. And, um, he, he you actually- know what? I, I tell Joe that, you know, one of the things about these things is um, other brains, other humans, we heal, brains heal other brains. And some people are extremely skilled at that, even though they may not have what Joe and I think of as, you know, traditional training, it, it really is that, that totality of being able to be present for another person. Uh, and then if you can give something back and that something is ineffable and difficult to define and stuff, people do t- try to do that. Um, I'm all in, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> then that's fine. <laughs> Let's go do that. You know, one of the, there's a guy named Peter Fonagy is very famous in this area. And he, tried to understand why some healers in the mental health space get much better outcomes than others. So he went, he went around to all throughout great United kingdom, try to find the woman, the person with the best outcome. And finally he found this little woman in the Cotswold who had no training and she would see people and they would heal in very short periods of time and had the best outcomes of anybody he could find. So there you go. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> it doesn't so, surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, it really is your energetic presence. Like you said, the ability to hold space. Yeah. And I believe your your connection and your alignment with, we'll call it source. And um, there's so much healing available. And what I didn't realize before my experience with him, because I tried so many other modalities, is that healing actually can be instant Mm. and profound and permanent and, and not everything you're certainly not going to heal everything yeah. but had been well, well tell me more about that because that's not really been my experience though sometimes i have seen that with the emdr and things what what was that experience what, what was that sudden thing so i had been chewing on the sexual trauma for two decades well three um, before I, I met him and you know everything had given me a tool here a tool there a little more realization but nothing had ever actually moved it out of my body yeah so he does all kinds of different modalities and every person's experience with him is different so joe will describe a completely different experience than mine Interesting. but um for me 
it was some of the physical healing that was it was mind blowing. Um, so a lot did he, of it. Did he, did he like touch you or did he just hold a, he would touch in certain places. So it's a physical. Yeah. Well, well he didn't touch me for three days. Uh, it was just energetic for three days, emotional and emotional, spiritual, energetic for three days. And he told me the reason he didn't want to come anywhere near me because I had so much sexual trauma. Right, he did not want to make anything worse. Right. So when we finally made enough progress with that, he had me lie face down on the ground and he stood on the backs of my legs. And I didn't really know what he was doing at first. It just felt like he was stepping on me lightly. But as I was lying there, the pain became very, very intense. And I started to become aware of these, it's difficult to describe like big balls of stuck trauma. And up until that point, I didn't even know that it was living in my body. That probably sounds yeah. quite naive. I assumed that if you talked about it long enough, it would go away. Yes. But it was literally lodged in some of my organs and in mm. my tissue. Mm. And now I know that's the case for everybody. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you get to define how you give to yourself. This holiday is a great time to do just that. So whether it's by starting therapy or going easier on yourself during the tough moments, again, it's holiday time and stress is up, expectations are up, people can feel lonely, people can feel depressed, the days are shorter. It all requires some attention. And of course, you should be taking care of your mind the way you take care of the rest of your body. And no longer can the excuse of stigma be used because BetterHelp is all online. It's not like you're going to run into somebody in the waiting room. No more excuses. It's time to take care of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, as I said, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-R-E-W. Um, so he kept, kept stepping on my legs and the longer this went on, the more intense the energy became and my whole body began to pulsate. I felt like, um, a magnet that was being repelled by another magnet for me mm -hmm. in the floor. I was shaking. I had tears just pouring out of me uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. And as the energy waves were moving out of my body and pushing me up off the floor, by the way, um, I was having vision after vision of traumas that I had long forgotten about things that I had buried for years mm -hmm. and it was all coming up and out and sweat was pouring out of me. And, um, it was one of those intensely painful experiences that you really have to surrender to, to survive. If you hang on to it, you'll never get through it. You have to. Now I want to, I want to emphasize for listeners that, and everyone has their own journey healing trauma. Not everyone. It's not like because you go into treatment for healing trauma, you must revivify your trauma. That that's not the case. This is Brianna's version. This is her how she got through it. And and some people do. You know, some people. All right, but but you really in good hands. They'll only let you experience what you can tolerate. Absolutely. And for some reason, felt you could tolerate this. And when you say he was standing on your legs, I'm trying to imagine what he was standing on your back of your thighs or something. Yeah, his full weight. Yeah. Like, like yep. on his knees or like his full, like yeah. his feet, nope. full feet. feet. And wow. at first it was, it was almost pleasant. It, it was not painful at first. Yeah. And now in retrospect, I know that he was, he was being very gentle and trying to suss out exactly where the energy needed to move and where he needed to drive in with his heels. But I had no is, idea. Is that, is that a common technique he uses? Is that something he just instinctively um, you needed or how, how would he describe that? Uh, we'd have to ask yeah. him. Um, the technique is, is an ancient Chinese technique called Ma Jing. Yep. Okay. And I so know he technique. does that. It is. A it is. But as far as actually standing on someone's legs, I'm not sure. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if he ever did that with Joe. That wow. happened to be where uh, some of my biggest trauma was stuck in subsequent years. He's gotten into the soles of my feet. Mm. And, uh, the first time he did it, I foolishly thought that it was going to be relaxing. Uh, uh. <laughs> it ended up being, um, incredibly transformational and 
quite intensely painful. Interesting. Um, but after it's over, once you finally purge your soul of all this trauma, the euphoria is indescribable. And I became very aware of those spaces in my body where I had been holding the trauma, but I, I just thought it was my physical makeup. I didn't know that's what it was. It felt yeah. like part of my physicality mm. until it was gone. Mm. And it felt like bowling ball sized holes mm. in my body. And I quite literally felt them fill up with what I can only describe as light. Right at that moment, or is that something that happened over time? Nope, right at that moment, right, right, right when the pain stopped, and I became aware. I became aware of the absence of the trauma, and the presence of this beautiful divine light and grace. Right. And it was so profound that I think I laid there sobbing, <laughs> just with a mixture of emotions, for about an hour. Mm. And then when I I could finally stand up. I did, but then it took me about maybe 30 minutes practicing to relearn how to walk mm. because my physical orientation to the world had dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that this took care of every bit of trauma I had once, not at all, yeah. but it took out a huge chunk and it was instant and it was permanent and it was mm -hmm. profound. And for about six months, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because in my past experience, you might feel better for a little while, mm -hmm. but inevitably you repeat the patterns of your life and it all comes screaming back. Right. This was the first and only time that did not happen. And in fact, did you keep working with him? Is that maybe why it didn't? Um, I worked with him once a year huh. for about five years. Crazy. Just yeah. once a year is amazing. And, and, so, and, and so the way I think about these things, because I had something kind of similar, but in a more traditional kind of therapeutic setting is, and I've heard other theorists talk about this. Um, they, they talk about it as tra trauma associated dead spots because you, you, I don't know if that resonates for you, but for me, it very strongly did. Cause you, I would sort of fall into these spaces, but in terms of my consciousness and experience, I'd go all the way in. And in that there was, it was nothingness. It was dead. It was death. Uh, and human brains will not do that on their own. They will not go to those. And I found that space just filled in. The more I could walk into it, the more it just sort of disappeared. And, and it disappeared with all kinds of you know good things. I, I, I didn't have such a vivid thing as you're, as you're experiencing. But I can imagine that, you know, our autonomic nervous system is very much responsible for different parts of our body and connecting it to our brain and it makes sense to me that those dead spots or whatever they are those balls you know those experience whatever they are um make sense to me as things that could be uh throughout the nervous system not just your experience i've come to believe they are energetic blockages and they are mm -hmm. as real as any physical blockage yeah i mean they're i call them walled off spots that your brain yeah. Your brain to, to, so like, let's talk about your sexual abuse, for instance, like to, to survive that your brain just walled off that part of your body. So you didn't have to experience it. It was yeah. what was coming out of that area was disorganized and painful and shattered the brain's limit. So it just, it just shuts it down. And there's all kinds of versions of that from trauma. So this helped me not only move past that, but when I entered the space where I was able to face what happened, mm -hmm. I had also, well, I didn't remove it. I think he, we, we removed it together. Mm -hmm. um, the emotional charge that had prevented me from dealing with it sooner also left. Mm -hmm. So now I can recount the details of everything that happened to me, but I no longer feel anything about it. Correct. Correct. So that has allowed me to go and help other people. Isn't that, that interesting? Yes. yes. Now you alluded to something else uh that that you went into as a result of this experience which is more on the intergenerational aspects of this which of course is always around what was that experience for you well um both of my parents had different types of profound abuse in their backgrounds mm -hmm. um my mother in particular had a lot of sexual abuse in mm -hmm. her background and I know there is sexual abuse in that family going back at least three generations. Um, I'm guessing probably farther than that. Isn't it, it's crazy that, that 
women that are sexually abused, the, the, the very last thing they want to have happen is their child to experience that. And yet it's usually the mother that brings around the person that does the perpetrating. Is that what happened in your case? Um, actually, not to me. Um, my that is what happened to her. Mm. Uh, that's what happened to my mother. But um, no, and my my poor mother, she really did try. She did the best she could. Um, however, the moment we come in, you know, in the moment we we incarnate and enter the earth plane, we start absorbing the stress patterns of the people who are raising us, whether that's a parent or grandparent, and so. In addition to everything that had come in epigenetically, I was observing her patterns of victimhood. I picked it all up Mm -hmm. and um, she told me a terrible story when I was very young and it was long before I could understand it. It took me another 25 years probably to really understand the, the magnitude of what she had shared with me. She told me that when I was just a baby, she took me to a park and um, she walked over to the restroom and there was a man hiding by the restroom door and he snatched me from her wow. and held me by the throat and threatened to break my neck. Oh my God. She did not service him. And I was very young when she told me this. And of course I understood that it was horrible, but I really didn't understand right, of course. The, the energetic implications of that for her, for me, for her mother, for my children. I mean, these things travel forward from generation to generation until someone actively interrupts that pattern. And I've now come to believe that that is one of the reasons that I chose at some level to go through all of this is so that I could interrupt that intergenerational repetitive pattern because I don't want my children or their children or anyone else going through this ever again. Mm. Mm. Did, did Christopher Lee go through some sort of near death experience or something? Did that happen to he, him? Uh, yes. He, he has a, a lot of trauma in his background. I just well. I, looking at his images. I just think, Oh, this guy has looked, looked down the barrel of death. I just feel it. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Crazy. He's a, he's extraordinary. He's, his brilliance is outweighed only by his compassion mm. for other humans. He's a beautiful soul. Mm. So back to your intuitive skills, what's going on there? Well, um, when I was probably six or seven, I shut it all down because I was tired of being the target of my family's. What were you, what were, what did you shut down exactly? Well, since the day I was born, truly, as long as I can remember, I have always, I've had beings around me that I knew were angels. I never questioned it. I talked to them just like I'm talking to you. (laughs) Um, I had no idea that was not everyone's experience. They saved my life many times. I detail some of that in the book, but they were always there to warn me about um, danger or to keep me out of a bad situation. And um, I always saw other people's energy, their auras and color. And it was very informative. I always knew just by looking at someone, essentially where their heart was or wasn't and whether it was a safe person or not. Um, I've always had visions. I thought they were dreams when I was little. I thought it was odd that I had the same dream every single night for years and years and years. Um And in retrospect, now I know that they were actually memories because those visions have become a lot clearer and everything I ever saw came to pass eventually. Sometimes it was within 24 hours and for some of them, it took 20 years, Mm. but every single thing I saw came to pass. Mm. So I would, I would tell my family these things. And of course, from their deeply religious dogmatic perspective, they thought that I must be channeling something evil. And wanted me to uh, repent for whatever it is I must have done. I was just a kid. Mm. And um, so I shut it down. I shut it all down. I started, I stopped listening to my intuition. I stopped talking to my angels. I pretended I couldn't see people's energy. And almost immediately I started suffering. Mm. I started having incredible physical symptoms all the time. That's when the sexual abuse started finding me. Um, it's, I turned my own light off. And then I I put myself through 25 years of pretty serious suffering. And um, it was the relationship with my husband that I wanted so desperately to save that really shook me into considering 
turning it back on. Mm. And there was a series of strange experiences that ultimately led me to, uh, to, to welcoming it all back with open arms. But the most profound of those experiences was a trip I took to Egypt in grad school. And I had always been powerfully called there, but I never thought I'd have the opportunity to go. And um, I detail this very deeply in my book, because this too is a long story, but I had a series of very profound experiences there that illustrated for me that all those dreams I'd had as a child were not dreams at all. And they were not my imagination because I remembered so much, including my previous connection to Christopher, to my husband, to some, there, there are a few other people in my life that I have since had that very deep and inexplicable soul resonance with. And um, that trip really let me know that I, I needed to make a choice. I could either continue to suffer and stay in the dark, or I could actually let my gifts out and fulfill the mission that I believe I came here for and uh, be a light for other people rather than my own worst enemy. Are you doing some sort of work now with people? Yeah, I worked with trafficked and exploited children. Oh my God. Yeah. For you. Are you, are you helping in any way with some of the uh, interventions? Are you on that side of it at all or just on the. No, um, I am. Uh, the, I, I love and applaud those amazing people. I am blessed to have a lot of them in my life. But no, I'm on the healing side. So once they are recovered, I help them reconnect with their soul because. These, these poor babies, so many of them at you know the age of eight, nine, 10 have been through more than most adults, more than anyone should ever, ever go through. Mm-hmm. And without mm-hmm. intervention, these sweet babies end up either back in the same cycle right. on the street or dead. And it's rapid. It, um, there's really no other way for that to go. Once, once the boundaries have been broken to that extent, there is no way out except through. So I wish there was no industry for me to work in, but as long as there is, I will be here. Amazing. Oh, breathtaking. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger show with a black man that befriends members of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't support the KKK at all. I don't support that ideology. But I support people having the right to believe as they want to believe, as long as they don't cross the line and hurt people. I didn't convert anybody. I am the impetus for over 200 to make up their own minds to convert themselves. It bothers me a great deal that we call ourselves the greatest nation on the face of this earth. How is it that we as Americans can talk to people as far away as the moon, but yet there's so many of us who have difficulty talking to the person who lives right next door. We are living in space-age times, but there's still too many of us thinking with stone-age minds. For more on how Daryl Davis convinced 200 KKK members to give up their robes, check out episode 540 on The Jordan Harbinger Show. And to give us a hint at the kinds of stuff you experience in Egypt, just so we can sure. enjoy a little bit of that imagery. So there was one particular vision um, that I had thinking it was a dream every day of my life, as far back in my childhood as I can remember. And I have pretty clear memories back to about age two. Mm-hmm. I only know because of the house I remember being in. And um, I would have this dream every single night. And... Um, I could never see myself. I was seeing through my own eyes and I was up on some sort of elevated platform in an open air temple and I could see large columns with hieroglyphics and there was a large celebration taking place. And I'd always gotten the feeling that it had something to do with me, but I didn't know what, and I could feel always a very powerful presence to my right. It felt like my soul's partner, but I could never see him. So I had this vision and for years it was the same. It was just a snippet. It was just. This started when you were two? I Probably sooner. That's how long ago. How, I you even, how did you even process what a hieroglyphic was? 
I didn't. I just remember the pictures, pretty right. pictures. <laughs> it wasn't until years later that I realized what they were. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I end up in Egypt. And one of the first places I got to go to was the Temple of Karnak, which mm. is astounding. Mm. If you've ever been there, it, it's magical. It's one of the largest existing religious sites in the world. And you can easily get lost. This place is massive. So I was wandering around more or less just following my curiosity from place to place. And I wandered into this particular section of this open air with these big, beautiful columns everywhere. And something pulled me over to one column in particular. And I put my hand on it involuntarily. I didn't even intend to do it. I just felt like I needed to. And the moment I touched this column, something took me somewhere else. And I closed my eyes. At least I assumed that I did. Mm. And I was right back in my vision that I'd had since I was a child. And I realized I was standing in the actual place where whatever memory this was, happened and i saw i I had my vision over again and i looked at the hieroglyphics and i looked at the columns and i felt the presence and i realized that's exactly what i was seeing and where i was and um one of the people i was on the trip with had she came over and shook me oh my i can't imagine i don't know how long i was out or what i looked like standing there holding this column but she said are you okay and i snapped out of it and i opened my eyes and right in front of me on the column i'm touching are exactly the hieroglyphics i'm seeing in my vision mm. and um later that night i had the rest of it and i remembered the full scenario what i was doing there what the festival was where i was i remembered so much it just came flooding in like i had busted open something in my consciousness that let it all in and I, I had another 20 experiences like this in Egypt that mm. um, not all of the sites, but many of them. Particularly- Were they all for the same person, so to speak, the same perspective or different? Um, most of them. Mm. Most of them were about one particular life that I lived that was uh, that had a profound effect on history, um, though I know now that I have definitely been there more than once. Um, some of I don't remember everything yet. I'm still working on it, but at least two different existences, but about 90% of it had to do with one. I think my soul was trying to make me remember because the work that I did then had a lot to do with the work that I need to do now. Mm. With, with children. Yes. And sexual trauma specifically in anchoring the consciousness of the divine feminine on the earth plane, mm. because one of the things we have to do to move forward and break away from this separation consciousness is to rebalance the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Talk to me more about that. That's interesting. Well, that's been unraveling for thousands of years. Unfortunately, it's always been wildly out of balance. Um, I feel like both men and women have, have experienced incredible oppression, trauma, and abuse in very different ways. And as a result, now thousands of years in, in or down the road, we live in a culture that has very specific and very stereotypical expectations of men and of women and what is acceptable or not for either. And one of, to me, the most destructive is teaching men, they can't feel, they can't cry. It is not masculine to express empathy or compassion. Mm -hmm. And as a result, um, unfortunately, a, a lot of men have found it necessary to to manifest that as aggression, mm. uh, to lash out. And certainly not all, by, by no means all. Other men have the opposite reaction and become almost timid or afraid to fully express their masculinity for fear of, of hurting or terrifying someone. Mm. And you know, women have their own version of this. Um, many women at this point probably all women come from some sort of sexual trauma in their lineage. Mm. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a woman who, um, even if she hasn't experienced it herself, does not have a female relative Mm. who has. It's simply in the epigenetics at this point. And um, the combustion of these two energies is very destructive. So that's a whole can of worms. But (laughs) in a nutshell, we need to help all people address their trauma and transmute it so that we can actually get to a place where the divine masculine can be fully expressed and the divine feminine can be fully expressed. And it's 
it's in complete support and synchronicity with the other. And that's when I think we will stop seeing sexual violence. So staying with the uh, Egyptian themes, is that uh, Isis and Osiris? Is that a good balance? Is that that myth? Um, to an extent, yes. I feel like every culture has their myths, but yeah, I have a very strong relationship with Isis and I have a profound connection to the divine feminine. So my personal opinion is absolutely. Have you really, have you followed the, uh, the Isis myth all the way through? It's the strangest story. And I'd be just curious if you had any reaction to it. Probably. Not, you probably know more about it than I do, because for years, what, one of the things that would appear to me, um, particularly when I was meditating, is this golden winged creature. And she'd be right here in my uh, third eye consciousness and grow larger and larger until she wrapped her wings around me. And then I would have some sort of revelation if I'd been struggling with something or if I'd asked for help, I would get the answer. But I had no idea what I was seeing um, until, believe it or not, about eight years ago. <laughs> That's the first time I realized it was ISIS. Mm. So you may well know more about her history than I do. Well, I, I don't know it well. I just remember thinking to myself that, wow, this seems to be some sort of an expression of something subconsciously human. That's kind of the way I thought about it, where, you know, they go on this adventure and, and, uh, Osiris is the male, right? Is that right? Or is wait, one of them, the male gets chopped up and put into a column, but his penis gets preserved and thrown into the ocean. And, and it's just all this weird, interesting imagery around his penis and what happens to it in this adventure. And it was, it was very odd if you really read it all the way through. And I'm just curious, I didn't know what to make of it when I read it, but I always feel like those myths have some sort of something in the human something. <laughs> I'm certainly going to read it now. I remember reading. I'm going to read it again too because I remember thinking, "What the heck is all that?" But is as a reason these things stay, you know, as as myths and cultural culturally organizing stories because there's something in it for people. So, so wow, what an incredible story! I can't wait to read the book. I'm sorry to tell you, I've not read it yet, but now I'm going. I'm going to go read all the Egyptian stories and story, <laughs> and I can't. I can't wait to get deeper into it. And you get into some of your experiences treating people now. Uh, no, the book is mostly my story for the purpose of setting up how destructive I got, and then how I dealt with the trauma and how I got through it, and then um, the most I just well. What I get into after that, because the culmination of this happened, ironically, right before the pandemic began. And that was amazing for me because I got to experience this event that was extremely traumatic for maybe most people. I got to experience all of the gifts and the freedom that I had just been given and really put them to the test in a real way. And so our experience of the pandemic ended up being extraordinary Mm. And I get, I get into that in the book and how it changed our parenting, mm-hmm. um, how it changed our, our relationship, Joe and I's relationship, how it altered the way that we stood up to tyranny. And um, in the very last chapter of the book, I do get into very specific instructions for people who actively want to change their experience. And I give them things that they can do that, that don't cost any money. Mm. They don't cost a lot of time. They don't require special skills. There are things you can actively do right now to profoundly raise your vibration and change your experience of life immediately. I'm, I'm, I'm going to think I'm going to buy your books. I don't think I have a, no, I'm going to, Oh wait, what do I have here? No, I have lots of excerpts and things. I, I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to read it. This feels like it, it could be so useful for everybody. Thank you. Yeah. That is my greatest hope. Well, Brianna, thank you for spending a little time with us. Um, thank you for uh, sharing Joe with the world too, because I, I know he's been out there with things. And well, You guys are in Jacksonville, right? No, we're actually in St. Petersburg. Oh, man. I'm coming down that way next week. I would love oh. to just shake your both your hands. Yes, absolutely. Um, We'd love to see you. All right, let me kind of figure that out. Ugh, I have so much crazy scheduling stuff. Stuff. <laughs> going on, but 
but I, why did I think you guys were up uh, in uh, the north? Is that where the cap the capital's up there, right? Yeah, he works in Tallahassee. And, Tallahassee, uh, that's what I was saying. He got the job offer. I said, absolutely, Florida, absolutely not Tallahassee. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I noticed whenever I visited the South, people are so happy down there these days compared to the rest of the country. It just that's a very thriving, happy place. Uh, you can feel the light here. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. We, we look forward to going down there every time we have a chance. So, well, listen, uh, where the book again, again, is escape from emerging from darkness. Uh, and where should they get it? Just the usual places. Yes. It's at, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble bookshop, all those good places, or they can buy it direct from the publisher, uh, Skyhorse publishing. If preferred. And done. Thank you, Brianna. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you all next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Hold on to your jingle bells. Pluto TV has all your holiday favorites for free. Enjoy Christmas classics like Scrooge with Bill Murray or Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Plus, dive into festive channels like holiday movie favorites by Lifetime or Hallmark Movies and more. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming holiday favorites on live channels and on demand. With thousands of free movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is your home for the holidays. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.